But honestly, this title came from this 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 chapter of Luke chapter 15 is often called God's lost and found chapter. So I said, you know, why recreate the wheel? Which is called lost and found. Because it's, it's a perfect depiction of what happens throughout this whole entire chapter. And my prayer is that as we go through these next few weeks, that that we will be reminded of the grace and the love of God, we will be reminded of the gospel, and that we would see God's heart for sinners. Luke chapter 15, there's, there, there's three separate stories that take place in Luke chapter 15. The first story is uh, the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And the third is the parable of the lost son. These parables were a response from Jesus to, to the, the Pharisees and the scribes who were making accusations against him. So as they accuse him, Jesus responds in three different stories, which all pretty much reiterate the same truth as we'll see as we as we walk through these texts over the next few weeks. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7, and we're going to look at the first parable of the lost sheep. In my prep for this week, as I was as I was prepping, I was reminded of a story that I actually heard last year about the time that it happened. Last November, there was a 28-year-old man named James Grimes who went on a family cruise or went on a cruise with his family for Thanksgiving. So during this cruise, it's supposed to be a time of jubilation, it's been a time of family, it's supposed to be fun, relaxing. Yet, what was supposed to be a good time quickly turned into an absolute nightmare for James Grimes and his family. At the end of the first night on this cruise, Mr. Grimes fell overboard into the Gulf of Mexico with nobody around to see him do it. He says the last thing that he remembered was he won an air guitar competition. And then he woke up and he was in the middle of the ocean with the ship nowhere in sight. <laughs> Grimes was lost at sea. He was helpless. He was he was hopeless. I couldn't imagine the thoughts that were most likely going through his head. For the next several hours as he's treading water, he talks about how there were multiple swarms of jellyfish that came by him and were stinging him. He talks about how driftwood came by him and he chewed on the driftwood to try to get some energy. He even says that that at one point he was attacked by what he thought was a shark, but he kicked it away. So this man's fallen overboard. Nobody has any idea. So in the morning, his family wakes up and his sister realizes, where's my brother at? So she reports him missing and the, the ship contacts the Coast Guard. So the Coast Guard sent out to search for James Grimes 20 hours after falling overboard and treading water. The Coast Guard airlifted a weekend but still alive. James Grimes. You know, we all love a great rescue story, right? I know even when I was looking through, even when I read this story, it was like 20 hours. I'm just thinking of just the resilience that this man had. Uh, I, couldn't, I, I probably couldn't even tread water for 20 minutes. I couldn't imagine trying to tread water for 20 hours. Yet, no matter how resilient James Grimes could have been, if nobody was sent to seek him, he would have perished. There was nothing that he could have done to survive in that water forever. There had to be somebody that came and saved him from his desperate 
situation. I, want to, I just want to remind every last person in this room, including myself, that we are all in need of rescuing. You know, we, we, we may not be stranded in the ocean treading water for 20 hours. We may not be stranded in the desert. We may not be stuck in a snowstorm. But we're all doomed. We're all helpless. We're all lost because of the sin that dwells and corrupts us. And worse than drowning and dying physically is the harsh reality of dying spiritually and being eternally separated from God. But the good news is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived, he died, and he was raised again to usher in the greatest rescue story known to mankind. In Luke chapter 19, verses 10, Jesus tells us, he says, he says, for the Son, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was Jesus' purpose in coming to earth. We were people that were lost in our sins. Jesus came here to seek and to save us. Amen. I want to declare to you today, as we look at our text, that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who seeks and rescues sinners like us. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 just really quick of chapter 15. Verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 1 and 2 really sets the tension of all of chapter 15. So as we look at these three stories in chapter 15, we got to go back to verse 1 and 2 to see why these stories are being told. Jesus is telling these stories in reaction to these accusations from the Pharisees. So we come to our text, we have three sets of people. We have Jesus, we have the Pharisees and scribes, we have the sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees were a religious sect that were, that were known for their emphasis on personal piety. They were determined to stick to the law of God to the T. But not only that, they added their own traditions to the law as well and expected everybody to stick to those to the T also. The Pharisees and the scribes were teachers of the law. They were people that were supposed to be helping bring people closer to God, helping people to know God and follow his ways. And instead, they added to God's law, which Jesus tells us, making it a, a, a heavy burden to even follow God. Jesus, in Luke chapter 23, you can, uh, you can look at it at a, at a separate time. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus has a uh, strong accusation against the Pharisees. And he reveals the heart of the Pharisees to us. And in Luke 23, he says that the Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs. So you think of a tomb, you think of the Taj Mahal, on the outside, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, it's, 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 everything looks great, but at the end of the day, it's a tomb. And on the inside, Jesus says, it's nothing but dead man's bones. So these Pharisees were people that on the outside looked the part, they walked the walk, but on the inside, Jesus says that they were far from God. So then we have the tax collectors and the sinners. So the sinners, I mean, we all know what sinners are, right? So in this text particularly, what they would have been talking about were the, the worst of the worst sinners, right? So, you know, the, the thugs, the prostitutes, the, the people that were, you know, dealing with drugs. These, these are the worst of the worst people that have come to Jesus. And then you have the tax collectors who the Pharisees also hated. I mean, I, I think I'm not a huge fan of tax collectors either. <laughs> so I kind of understand. But, <laughs> no, but the, the Pharisees didn't like the tax collectors because... The tax collectors 
were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government. So the tax collectors would basically take advantage of their Jewish brothers for their own gain. And so for, so to, to the Pharisees, the tax collectors were nothing but a bunch of traitors. So the tax collectors and the, the sinners were this, this hated group to be marked and avoided. The Pharisees were, were, were separatists. You know, we're holy, we're upright. Those people, keep them over there. We want nothing to do with them. Because to hang around those people would pollute and stain the purity and holiness of the Pharisees in their minds. So in their self-righteousness, as we look at verse 2, the Pharisees are mad at Jesus for embracing sinners. Look, they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You know, as we look at this text, the sinners came to hear Jesus. They came to understand Jesus. It's actually interesting. If you look at the end of Luke chapter 14, um, in verse 25, before this happens, the Bible says that a great multitude was following Jesus, right? So then, if you look from verse 25 to 35, Jesus is teaching to this multitude now. And in his teaching, Jesus is telling the multitude that the cost of following him, he tells them that in order to follow him, they've got to forsake everything. Right? So then, so then we get to the beginning of chapter 15, and it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. So the, the down and outers, the people that knew that, that, that there was something they needed, right? So they heard this word from Jesus. you got to forsake all. Everybody else has walked away and said, I'm not doing that. But then you have the sinners and tax collectors that are drawing near to them. And the Pharisees are looking from afar off. They're saying, man, why is Jesus hanging out with those people? He's supposed to be so holy. He's supposed to be a prophet. You know, he's supposed to be of God. Why would he be with those people? So I just want to look verse, at, at verses 1 through 7 real quick. The, the title for today's message is The Shepherd's Heart. The Shepherd's Heart. There was a lot of different angles that I was praying about approaching this text from. But I feel like for us here today, viewing it from the, 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 um, viewing it from the view of, of the shepherd in the story and his heart is going to be the most beneficial for us. So, Chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 1 again, but let's read through the first seven verses together. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine just persons who need no repentance. If you don't mind, let's pray real quick before we dive into the study of the text. Dearly Father, Lord, I... Once again, just thank you for the opportunity to open your word, Lord, and proclaim thus saith the Lord. God, I pray that as I stand here today, that you would help me to be faithful to your text. I pray that your spirit would empower me, Lord. Lord, I pray that there would be something in here for every person that's sitting under my voice right now, God. God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you remind us of the truths of the gospel. I pray that there's anybody in here today that does not know you, that they would come to the saving knowledge of you, Lord. Lord, 
when he would just help me to be able to maintain my voice, that I would not start to call for Lord. He would just be with me just as I, as I bring your word, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's go on a journey together in our heads, okay? Imagine you're a shepherd in the mountains of Israel, okay? So you, 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 have, you have your 100 sheep. You have a flock of 100 sheep. You're leading your sheep all day long. You've taken them through ravines, taken them up mountains, through the water. You're, you're leading your flock of sheep all day. It's pushing into the evening. You've been up all day. You're tired. You're probably hungry. You know, you're getting ready to settle down for the evening. So as you go to settle down for the evening, let me just go ahead and count your sheep real quick. You know, just, everybody should be there. There's never any missing. Let's just do a head count. So you start to count. One, two, and five, and six, and seven, and eight, and nine. Maybe I'm just counting somewhere, right? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read. There's supposed to be 100 sheep here, but I only count 99. So I count again. You know, 96, 97, 98, 99. Okay, well, you know, where, where's the sheep at? Imagine you're the shepherd. I can imagine that. Just going through my head, I'd probably be thinking, well, there were some thick bushes over here. Let me go walk to those bushes and check the bushes and make sure you didn't get stuck in here. Or, you know, there was a pond over there. Maybe you got thirsty in a wonderful way. Let me go over to this pond and see if this sheep is here. I would imagine that many of us here today, including myself, would probably be a little worried about losing one, you know, one of our sheep. But after so long, I feel like we would probably say that we need to move on. You know, I have 99 out of 100 sheep. You know, that, that's part of doing business, right? You know, there's gonna be losses every once in a while. So for us, you're like, man, it stinks that I lost my sheep, but I've got to keep driving my sheep to, to where I need to go to. Yet, in our story, as the shepherd realizes that he's lost one of his sheep, he's determined to search for it until he finds it. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, Jesus says, if he loses one, he does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. He doesn't say, I'm going to go after the one that's lost until I get tired or until I feel like, you know, it's, it's not worth it anymore. No, he says, I'm going to indefinitely, forever, continually seek after that which was lost. He says, I'm never going to give up on that which was lost. He says, my sheep is lost. My sheep has no way to find his way home. See, sheep are directionless. Uh, a sheep can't look around like a dog and find its way home. That's why they have to be led. You know, a sheep, sheep can't be pushed. A shepherd walks out in front of a sheep, and a sheep follows. So for a sheep to be over-isolated by itself, he has no way to find a shepherd. He has no way to find, to find the rest of the flock. Not only are they directionless, but they're defenseless. Listen, sheep don't got sharp teeth. Sheep don't got sharp claws. If a wolf was to come up to that sheep, that sheep is done for. So the sheep is directionless, he's lost, he's defenseless, and the shepherd is saying, saying to himself, if I don't get to my sheep, my sheep is done for. It's crazy. This text is, is insane because the shepherd is so concerned for one lost sheep that our text tells he left 99 safe ones. But not only did he leave 99 safe ones, he left them in the wilderness. Just think about how crazy that is. It doesn't say that he took them to a barn first, 
and locked him up, where he took him to a pasture and closed the pasture. No, his mind is going, my sheep is lost. I gotta go right now and find that which is lost. There's an authentic, true care and love by the shepherd for every single one of his sheep. Do you know why most sheep get lost? Most sheep get lost because of carelessness. Sheep don't just say, well, I'm going to be rebellious, so I'm going to run away today because I can do it on my own. No, sheep get lost because they're easily distracted. So what happens is the sheep has his head down nibbling on grass. And so he's nibbling here, he's nibbling there, he's following the grass. He doesn't put his head up at all. And so in his carelessness, he wanders away from the flock following that grass. And then he puts his head up and he looks around and he says, where's everybody at? Isaiah chapter 53 says the same thing about us. In Isaiah 53, 6, he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Listen, just as easy as it is for a sheep in his carelessness to get away from the flock, it is just as easy for us in our carelessness to wander away from God. You know, often it's not direct rebellion. There are times, we'll look in a few weeks as we look at the, at the lost son, where he was rebellious and he wanted nothing to do with his father. You know, and there, there are times like that where we do run from God knowingly, but often it's not direct rebellion, but rather it's a nibbling of the world that causes us to wander away from God. Blaise Pascal said that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There's a God-shaped hole. There's a, there's a hole in our heart. There's a void in us as humans when we're born that needs to be filled, and the only thing that can fill it is Jesus Christ. The problem is, though, we try to fill it with things of this world. We try to fill it with money. We try to fill it with relationships. We try to fill it with drugs. We try to fill it with, with maybe moving up in our job. And we try to find purpose. We try to find self-worth. We try to, to do all that we can to feel like we belong. And that God-shaped hole gets filled with the wrong things and it never satisfies. Never satisfies. You can't take a square peg and stick it into a round hole. You know, often we try to find, we try to fill voids that only Jesus can fill. And when we finally look up, the shepherd's nowhere to be seen. He said, we might not be doing it on purpose. It might just life, it's a, we, we live busy lives. You know, we get so involved in our job, we get so involved in doing this and doing that, trying to find purpose for our life. Instead of going to God, instead of trying to find our purpose in Christ, our purpose in the cross. And when we look up, God is nowhere to be found. And listen, but the good news is that when we wander away, we have a God that values the one and will come and find us. Because as we look at this verse, it speaks to the value of one. Not just the value of one sheep to the shepherd, but the value of one soul, the value of one sinner, the value of one person to Jesus Christ. Listen, God cares about you personally and individually. Jesus tells us he's the good shepherd, but not only does he say he's the good shepherd, he says he knows 
his sheep by name. Listen, when it feels like, like everyone that you love has cast you away, when it, when it feels like you're a bother to everyone around, you're struggling to find your self-worth, know that the creator of the heavens and earth, that God himself personally values you. He values you so much that he would leave the 99 in the wilderness if it meant he could find you. That's the shepherd's heart. You know, as we look throughout the Psalms, the writers of the Psalms understood that that's not just my grandma's God. That's not just my neighbor's God. That's not just my pastor's God. But that's my God. You know, as you look throughout Psalms, you see the words, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my salvation. He's my rock. He's my strength. Listen, God loves you and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. For those of us in here today that, 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 that may not know that, that may not have that personal relationship with God, and maybe some of those who feel like God is distant in our lives right now, know that there is a diligent, continual searching and finding for your heart by the God of the universe. Just as a shepherd looks for the sheep until he finds it, God is continually calling, he's continually drawing you into a relationship with him. And he won't give up. You know, the world will give up on us. If I was a shepherd, I would have gave up. But God will never give up. It doesn't matter how far you you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter if you curse God, if you said, God, I don't want nothing to do with you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what your family history is, what your background is, God, the good shepherd, would never stop loving and longing for you to turn back to him. Because there's nothing the sheep can do to rescue himself. The shepherd doesn't find himself before. Then as we come to verse 5, feel the love and compassion of the good shepherd. So we're, look, we're looking at the religious text, we're looking at the shepherd's heart. In the first, the first verse we see that the shepherd cares for us. Now in verse 5, I want us to see the love and compassion. Verse 5 says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Yeah. Right. Listen, the shepherd is wandering through the wilderness, He's calling out his sheep. Remember, he, he, he loves his sheep. He values his sheep. He knows his sheep by name. He's calling out his sheep. Searching, searching, searching. And then finally, he hears a faint bleat in the distance. And he follows that bleat. He's tired. He's weary. He's been walking through who knows how long, the rocks, the rivers. And when he follows that bleat, he spots that sheep. And listen, when he spots that sheep, he picks the sheep up and he puts the sheep on his shoulders and he makes that sheep feel as safe and secure as possible. He sees that sheep and he says, listen, I know that you're weary. I know that you're tired. You're scared. You're hopeless. But don't worry. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to put you on my shoulders. You're safe in me. There's shelter in me. You know, I've got a, a dog, right? So she's getting a little bit older now. So she's not as wild as she used to be, but when she was younger, she was crazy. So when I lived in Florida, we had power lines back behind the house. So my dog, every once in a while, she'd get the bright idea, as soon as this door opens, 
I'm gonna jet out to those power lines, right? So she, she, every once in a while she run. So boom, take off. You know, I love my dog. I don't want nothing to happen to my dog. There's alligators out there, power lines, or snakes, who knows what. So I would, I would, I would try to follow my dog. I would chase my dog. I would try to find it. But can I share a secret with you? When I found my dog, my fault was not, oh, Cassius, I know you're so tired. Let me pick you up and carry you. <laughs> 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 That's not what went through my head. But thank God that we have a shepherd Amen. who when we wander away, he is compassionate and he is graceful and he stands there with open arms. That when we wander from him, he continually embraces us. You know, I believe that, that, that God as gracious and compassionate is something that a lot of Christians need to get a better grasp on. It's an area of God that we often overlook, and it's one of his main characteristics. He's a God of grace. He's a God of love, a God of compassion. You know, A.W. A. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So my question for you today is, what does come to your mind when you think about God? When you think about God or picturing somebody up in heaven as a lightning bolt that's waiting to punish, that's waiting to condemn you for everything, every little thing that you do? Do you view God as a killjoy who just doesn't want you to have any fun and wants you know, control of your life or to be boring and, and you know, just wants you to be weird? Do you see God as angry? And unloving, and I know sometimes we say no, we don't, but in our hearts, a lot of times we do. We look at God just not looking at wrong. God is judge. God is he's a just judge. But that's not all he is. God is gracious, God is compassionate, God is merciful. God desires to forgive, he desires to redeem, he desires to cleanse and save mankind. You know, as as I've seen this illustration. For, the, for this passage before, verses 1 through 7, the illustration is given that it's, it's told that during, during ancient, ancient Israelite times, that when a sheep would wander away, the shepherd would see the sheep, and when he found the sheep, the reason he had the sheep on his shoulders was because he would break the sheep's legs. And the thought process is, as I break the sheep's legs, the shepherd is telling the sheep, you need to be, I, I, I'm all that you need. Be dependent on me. So the shepherd's carrying the sheep, and the sheep sees, I don't need anybody else but you. And it said that's a lesson for us so that when we stray from God and we go through hard times, we can believe that it's God trying to draw us closer to him. Now, I don't know if anybody else in here has heard that story before. I want to tell you like Donald Trump says, it's fake news, okay? That story is nothing but a Christian urban legend. There's no historical or practical basis for a shepherd to break his sheep's legs. In actuality, they say that that would be a death sentence for the sheep because the shepherd has to care for his flock. How can you care for your flock when you're having to deal with his sheep? has broken legs continually. He can't keep up with us. He can't be around us. That's a death sentence. You know, the sad part about this broken leg story is the twisted image it gives us of God. 
Listen, the parable of the lost sheep is about God's unconditional love and forgiveness, told in response to the mutterings of the Pharisees, yet somehow we can make it become a story about punishment. That's not what God wants for us. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is loving. God embraces us. When, when God rescues you, he puts you on his shoulders. And he says, listen, I, I know you're tired. I know that you've been through it, but don't worry because I've got you. We've got a God that not only seeks the lost, but extends mercy and grace to them when he finds them. So we've got to understand that. We've got to stop viewing God. Like I said, there's, 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 there's truth. We should be striving to be holy. We should strive to live life to honor and glorify God. But God is not just sitting in heaven waiting to punish us. You know, this was the problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus. This is the whole tension of this text. This was their issue. They weren't upset that Jesus was preaching to sinners. They weren't upset when Jesus would teach the sinners. If you look at verse 2, what they are upset about is that Jesus embraced sinners. To eat with someone during these days would be an offer of friendship. It meant, I want to be in community with you. The Pharisees are dumbfounded. They didn't want to understand because Jesus is seeking to make a faith community with those people in it. Doesn't Jesus know that in a faith community, it's supposed to be people that are, that are doing everything that God's told them to do, that are following God's ways, that are obeying God? How, excuse me, how can you make a faith community with those people in it? That was the real issue of the Pharisees' hearts. These religious folk wanted truth but no love. They wanted condemnation with no embrace. They wanted Jesus to be hateful and mean towards sinners. Can I just tell you, I'm thankful that he's not. Amen. Listen, Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus laughed with sinners. But listen, ultimately, he pointed them into a proper relationship with God. That's the Savior that we have, a personal Savior who cares for and lovingly welcomes you into a relationship with him. Listen, the shepherd didn't get angry. The shepherd didn't abuse the sheep that wandered away. He rejoiced in finding it. He was excited that what was once lost was now found. And when he finds it, he throws it across his shoulders, saying, I love you, I'm going to care for you. You don't have to worry. So verses 4 and 5 show us the value of one. Yet when we look at verses 6 and 7, we see the joy of the shepherd over one. So we see the value in 4 and 5 that one brings. And then 6 and 7, we see the joy that one brings. In verse 6, rightly so, there's an earthly celebration. This shepherd obviously loves and cares deeply for this sheep. So it only makes sense that when he finds the sheep, that he's excited. And when they're excited, what do you want to do? You want to party, right? So he's excited. He's excited. I found my sheep. He calls his friends up, calls his neighbors up. Listen, oh, I found my sheep that wandered away. Let's celebrate. So we see the ultimate exuberance, the ultimate, the ultimate excitement in knowing his sheep was found. We see that he truly loved his sheep. Then in verse 7. We see Jesus' first 
direct answer to the accusations of the Pharisees. So he's in, in verses 4 through 6 and telling this parable, he's indirectly answering them as far as this is showing them. This, this is the shepherd's heart. This is, this is why I'm here. I can't even say that which was lost. But in verse 7, he's speaking directly to the Pharisees and answering their accusations. You know, in, in Luke chapter 5, 10 chapters before, Jesus had already explained to the Pharisees why he embraced sinners. They had already accused them of this. They said, why is he sitting and eating with tax collectors? And in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus said to them, he says to the Pharisees, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen, in, in, in Luke 5, 32, and in Luke 15, 7, what Jesus is saying, he says, you want to know why I embrace sinners and tax collectors? I embrace them because when one of them repents, when one of them turns from their wicked and evil ways and turns to the Father, it brings them joy. Heaven rejoices. The Father rejoices. And then, in, in almost a, a, a little sarcasm, he then pokes at the Pharisees and he says that there's more joy over one sinner that's repent than 99 just persons who need to know repentance. So what Jesus is essentially telling the Pharisees is, he's saying, he's saying your, your self-righteousness, the traditions that you uphold at the expense of reaching others, your hypocrisy, your separatist ways, in all reality, they bring you no joy in heaven. That's what he's telling these Pharisees. He's telling them, my, my father finds joy over these people coming to him. He doesn't find joy over you thinking that you're self-righteous. He doesn't find joy in you thinking that you're better than everybody else. You know why? Because there's no such thing as 99 just persons who need no repentance. The sad part is, the sinners that Jesus came to save included the Pharisees. But in their arrogance, they believe themselves to be righteous. They believe themselves to not be in need of a Messiah. They, they, they believe that, 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 that they weren't lost. You know, they say that, that in, in order to be found, you first got to realize that you're lost. And the Pharisees didn't realize that they were lost. You know, Romans 3.10 tells us, as it's written, there was none righteous. No, not one. Can I remind you of that truth here today? That we are all, me included, sinners in need of God's grace. Listen, we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. Yeah. All of our good deeds are as filthy rags. Shame on us if we ever see somebody struggling and sin and we cast judgment and we mark and avoid them. Shame on us. You know, while this message is a call to salvation, it is, it's, 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 Jesus wants us to see that he is a seeking Savior. Jesus wants us to see that, that he values the one that that if you were lost if you have that, that he wants to find you that is the primary message of this text but for those of us that have been found for those of us that, that have a relationship with Christ I think there's also a warning and a challenge to us in this text to have the heart of our shepherd and not the self-righteous posture of the Pharisees because what brings Joy to God, bring joy to me. 
You know, if you want to rescue the lost, you've got to go where they are. How do you ever expect to reach your community if you're not in your community? You know, you can cry and complain about your neighbor. You know, he's, he's up, has been up all night long. You know, he's partying. There's always different girls over there. You know, they're always doing drugs. But what have you done to love him, to show him, to show him Christ? Do you just sit over here in your self-righteousness and just, just scowl at him? Or are you going out and seeking the same way the shepherd? Are you telling him the goodness? Are you telling him that, 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 that there's, there's hope, that there's, there's salvation that can be had? When people who are, who are rough, that may be a little bit different, when they walk into our church, are we embracing them? Are we going up to them? Are we welcoming them? Or are we just kind of looking and casting judgment on them? What about this? Do I look at my neighbors as merely people to be preached at? Or do I look at them as people to be loved on? And then for those of us today who are lost, for those of you who have a void, that there's an emptiness, there's a God-shaped hole that has not been filled, by Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus. Listen, he loves you. He's seeking you. And he's the only one that can bring hope and restoration. There's nothing else you can do. Everything else will fall short. There's no relationship. There's no job. There's nothing that can ever take the place of Christ. That will ever bring full satisfaction and joy. That will ever bring you back into a right relationship with the Father. Jesus is seeking, he's loving, he's gracious, he's open with, he's, he's looking at you with open arms, waiting to embrace you. You know, Jesus tells us, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus. You know, this is the gospel. That while we were dead and lost in sin, Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, fully God, fully man, came to earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect and holy life, was thrown on a cross, was tortured, had a crown of thorns placed on his head, a spear in his side, was crucified, satisfying the wrath of God on sinful man, raised again, and now is lovingly, patiently, graciously seeking and drawing lost men into a relationship with him. Bringing us hope for today, strength for tomorrow, and life forevermore. You know, we, we often talk about receiving Christ into our hearts. But the amazing thing is not us receiving Christ, but Christ receiving us. Every head bowed, I suppose.